All right, um, let's go ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, and pray, and we'll get started with class number 16, amen. Father, thank you. This time together this evening, thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, Lord, their faithfulness, Father, to, um, Lord, not just to this class, but Father, their faithfulness uh, to you and to your destiny and purpose for their lives. Father, thank you for equipping us tonight. Thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Father, we're here tonight for more than information. We desire and ask in faith, Father, tonight for your wisdom, Lord, that it would be revealed to us, imparted to us, Lord, planted in our inward parts, Lord, your truth. Father, that the light bulbs uh, of your truth and wisdom would uh, turn on in our spirits tonight, Lord, and that we would receive uh, answers from you, Father, that, that will not only sustain us, but, Lord, empower us and enable us to live the life that you created us to live. Again, Father, we are, we're so thankful. Well, we know there's a lot of folks that would love to be here, or love to be joining us online live, Father, but for whatever reasons, their schedules don't allow it. But Lord, we're, we're grateful that ours, ours do, and thank you for helping us now, Lord, connect with what you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so I'm glad that you're here this evening. Just um, a couple of announcements, or I guess really one announcement, uh, but a reminder. Um, and that is, uh, we have, of course, class tonight, and then again on the 18th, so we have two more classes in 2019, then with Christmas Day, New Year's Day, falling on a Wednesday this year, um, we'll be taking uh, those two nights off, of course, and then uh, we'll start back up again with class number, what would that be, uh, 16th, like class number 18, so we'll be exactly halfway through as we begin uh, 2020. Um, so, exciting times indeed. If you have your Bibles, open them with me tonight to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, and uh, we'll begin at verse number 17. 1 John chapter 4 and um, verse number 17. So, we are um, in the middle of a, uh, a section that will there will be elements of this um, lingering all the way through uh, to the end, to the final class. Um, but we said that these three questions um, are, what am I, who am I, why am I? And we said the first corresponds with our origin. Um, you know, where do we come from? How do we get here? You know, what are we? Who are we? This corresponds with the singular word identity. Who, who you are. Um, who you truly are. Um, different generations express it different ways. Um, back in, I guess, my generation or the end of the generation before me, they had this expression about they were going to find themselves. Okay, going to find themselves. You ever heard that expression, going to find myself? Amen. Well, what they're really looking for is their true identity. Um, and then the third question, why am I? It corresponds with the word purpose. So origin, identity, and purpose. Um, a large portion, I believe a, a large majority of the men and women on planet Earth today uh, have no idea the answers to these three questions. Okay? And they're very, very important if we're going to live the life that God created us to live and if we're going to fulfill the purpose and destiny um, for which we are called. Again, I know that a lot of this is repetitive, but I just want to remind you that I believe these questions have to be answered in this particular order. In other words, 
what am I first, providing a foundation for the second question, who am I, which then provides a foundation to support the answer, why am I purpose. Um, real life is found in fulfilling your God-given purpose, your God-given destiny. Amen. Matter of fact, we're going to mention destiny just a little bit tonight so that you can see how these things are connected and related. But um, anyway, these are the three questions. And of course, we're focusing now on this question, what am I? Or as the psalmist said, what is man? What is man? And we don't just mean gender there. We're talking about mankind. What, what is it? that's uh, special and unique about us that uh, has captured the heart and the attention of God. Um, what is it about you and me? What is man that God is mindful of us? And, and mindful of us doesn't tell a third of the story. Uh, he numbers the hairs upon your head. Now that's mindful. Okay? Uh, he, he, uh, he sings over you while you sleep at night. Amen. That's mindful. Right? So what is it uh, about us, what is man, that the Creator, Father, God of the universe is mindful of us? Okay, so that's the question that we are answering, and last week we spent a great deal of time on uh, the first part of the answer, and we said, what is man? Man is a God-class being. Man is a God-class being, Okay. And we looked at some pretty heavy stuff uh, last week. I appreciate you uh, digging in your faith heels with me uh, to hear and receive and believe those things. Um, I've already heard reports from some in the class of how they have exercised their faith in, in some key areas in their family and in, in ministering to others. And, uh, and so praise God, that's, that's what... Uh, an understanding of these things is about not pride, not um, you know where you can go around and, and you know thump your chest and, and, and brag and and be arrogant with your nose up in the air about it. Um, to truly believe what the Bible says about these things is is extremely humbling. Um, to to understand just how much Father loves you, and and just how much He has. Um, uh, in mind, amen, mindful uh, when it comes uh, to you. So man is a God-class being. We're going to continue to build on uh, this uh, uh, tonight. Hopefully we'll get into uh, uh, number two, amen, what is man. But the first answer, and I believe it's one of the, the most important, is that man is a God-class being. Now, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, it says that love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Alright? Now, what we also see in 1 John is that, is that God is love. And so, when we see something like love has been perfected among us, we could also see because God is love that God has been perfected among us. Now, this word perfected or perfection is more than likely not, uh, does not mean what you think it means. Um, in the sense that we think of something being perfect as something without fault or without error. And, and that is not what this word means. It's translated from a Greek word, the transliteration is teleos, different uh, uh, variations of that word. But the idea behind it is it's something that has come full circle. 
So something that has been perfected is something that has uh, come full circle and therefore is existing in a state of completion. Okay? Existing in a state of completion. So when he says love has been perfected among us in this, he's talking about God being perfected among us or the purposes of God, the desire of God, the heart of God for us has, has become complete. Amen? Which, which means what? Love, love being perfected in you carries with it this idea that, that the love of God working in your life has produced its full result. It, it, it has accomplished, we could say it this way, what the love of God for you and to you and in you was meant to accomplish. And notice that is uh, captured, that accomplishment is captured in this uh, statement that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, think for a moment what he's saying there, and don't be overwhelmed or, or, um, or what's, the, what's the right way to say this? Don't be intimidated by, by that statement, okay? Um, but, but understand that this, you know, is a good measuring stick for us uh, to understand how much we need to grow uh, in our understanding of the love of God. Amen. And what His love is doing in us and for us and through us. And of course what I'm referring to is that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, um, our associate pastor had a big exam yesterday. He's gone back to school and, um, and he was both excited about the exam and, uh, you know, obviously there were some unknowns uh, about that. So, um, that was a big day for him. Okay. Well, um, one of the biggest days of your life and my life is going to be the day that we stand before God uh, to be judged. Amen? <laughs> right? Anybody remember in school, you know, you can make good grades all the way through, but uh, I, I came up in the day of the handwritten report card. Amen? And uh, that final report card they would have uh, written in whether or not you were promoted to the next grade. Well, it was a day of judgment. Right? That, that final report card is a day of judgment. And um, even though I had made, made good grades throughout the school year, I still had a bit of anxiety. And I would take that. It was one of those uh, stiff envelopes that was open at the top um, and taller than it was wide. And I, I can always, I say always, several grades when I was younger, I can remember taking that report. I didn't have the courage to pull it out. I would just kind of take it and bend it and look down in there to see uh, if indeed I had passed judgment right so when we talk about a day of judgment a day when a very important decision concerning us is to be made right if we're not careful that can be a day of intimidation you follow what i'm saying here this can this can be a day of anxiety and stress but notice he says that the love of god perfected in you and me will cause us not to be stressed or anxious on the day of judgment to, but to be bold and confident on the day of judgment. Amen? Well, listen, that, you only get there by understanding. It's not, it's not, you're, you're, you're not putting yourself in the hands uh, 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 and, and trusting in what you've done for God, but your trust is in what He's done for you and the love that He has for you. Not, thank God for your commitment to Him, but on that day, you can be confident, not based upon how well you've uh, served Him and how faithful you've been to Him, but how much He's done for you and how faithful He is to us. Amen. Are you, are you hearing me this evening? This is really important, all right? 
So, he's talking about then a comfort in God's presence. Amen. Remember, Adam hid from God after he sinned. Now, he didn't hide from God before, before he sinned, but after he sinned, he hid from God. In John the third chapter, we talk about people who would rather exist in darkness than come to the light. They, they, they run from the light. They run from God instead of to Him. And, and this is because they don't understand how much He loves them. So again, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And then He takes it even one step further. Because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, as Jesus is tonight, so are we in this world. Again, one more verse to support this, um, this statement of truth that man is a God-class being. That man is a God-class being. Now, we're going to build on this a little more tonight. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews the second chapter and verse number 10. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10. Let me give you, uh, please, some verses to start, and then I want to talk to you for a few moments. Praise God. But I want to put the Bible verses out there first and, and, and let you just see them. And, and again, there's, there's lots. I probably spent a little too much time uh, there in 1 John 4. Uh, there's a lot more teaching we could do from that verse. But the key thing I'm wanting you to see is that, that, that we don't have to be afraid of God, but when we understand His love for us and, and His, the fact that we've become now accepted in the Beloved, Amen, that we've been made one with Him, that that, that understanding, that revelation of His genuine love for us and desire for us can give us confidence and and boldness in, in His presence, right? The Bible tells you and me to come boldly to the throne of grace. Sometimes you hear people talk about storming you know, the gates of heaven, and, and, and also, listen, it's, you don't have to break down any gate in heaven. You, you belong there, it's your home. Um, the gate's unlocked for you. Um, and not only are you welcome to, to enter heaven by faith to receive from God, you can do it boldly. Amen. Amen. Are you understand what I'm saying here? Right? How, how, how much would it glorify me for my son to be intimidated to come to me and ask me for help? That would not glorify me at all. For him to uh, think that I would uh, you know, turn my back on him or, or be harsh towards him you know, if he was to come and ask me uh, for help or, or for understanding or, or what have you. In other words, what does glorify me? That he knows how much I love him and that he's, uh, you know, I'll do anything I can to help him any way I can. Amen. And your Heavenly Father has that same kind of love and desire for you on a much higher level. On a much higher level. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10. For it was fitting for him, and the him here, capital H, is speaking of Jesus. For it was fitting for Jesus for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified 
are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Do you, do you see yourself here? We talked uh, earlier in these classes, uh, when we were to, I'm not talking about tonight, but in previous classes, times together, we talked about finding yourself in the Scriptures, identifying with them personally, understanding the parts that are talking about you, not just a group of people, but you individually, you specifically. And so I hope that you see yourself and can find yourself here. Okay? So notice that Jesus and what He has done for us has made Him the captain of our salvation. And the captain of our salvation um, is bringing many sons. Again, this is not a gender thing, ladies. If you are born again, you are as a firstborn son um, to your heavenly Father uh, in bringing us to glory. So the glory of a thing ties directly in to this idea of love has been perfected among us. The glory of a thing is another way of saying uh, this thing has come full circle. It's what God intended for it to be. The, The glory of a thing is when a thing is operating at its highest and best. And so Jesus came to bring us into our highest and best. Come on now, that gets me excited right there. Jesus came to lift us up and out from under the curse of sin and and the consequences of sin and to to exalt us, to promote us, to to give us dignity, amen, and and, and prosperity. And, And so again bringing many sons to glory. Not, this, see, a lot of times we substitute this word glory for heaven. For heaven, right? He's not just talking about heaven when you die here. He's talking about a quality of life, a level of living, a way of life, amen, that would reflect that for which our Creator Father intended us to live. Amen. Now, this next verse for both he who sanctifies, we've been talking about this word sanctify in the morning class, the foundry. It simply means to set apart. And our Father, our Jesus, if you will, God, is setting us apart. But notice it says, both he who sanctifies, that's speaking of God, and those who are being sanctified. Did you find yourself right there? That's you and me. We are the ones who are being sanctified. We are the ones who are being set apart. We are the ones that that are still growing and developing and learning. Amen? Are you with me? In other words, we haven't arrived yet. But notice, He's not waiting for you to arrive before He considers you to be one with Him. Both He who sanctifies and those who are a work in progress being sanctified are all of one. Are all of one. For which reason He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Amen. He is not ashamed of you. And you say, well, He's not ashamed of me, Pastor Mark, because I'm doing pretty good here the last you know, several months. No, no. He's not ashamed of you. Right? Even when you're struggling, He's not ashamed of you because He knows you. And He knows your full potential. And, and he, His commitment to you is to finish what He started in you. 
and to bring you to that completion, to bring you to that perfection, to that maturity. Amen. Now, turn with me to John chapter 17. So again, the point is, we're God-class beings. As He is, so are we in this world. God-class beings. Both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. God-class being. I know it's stating the obvious, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are are clearly God-class beings. But He says, as those who have been born again and are now being sanctified, that we are all of one with those who are sanctifying us. Amen. Now, John chapter 17, I'm going to uh, intentionally um, pull some select verses out of the 17th chapter of John. I'm asking you to please not do it now because we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Okay, And I want you to be focused and really receive what the Holy Spirit has prepared for you. But I want to encourage you um, to read soon, like maybe before you go to bed tonight, amen, uh, but soon I want you to read and, and, and read it slowly, read it out loud if you're in a position where you can do that, um, this 17th chapter of John. It is one of the more unique chapters in all the Bible, because what we know is Jesus was a man of much prayer, okay, But what we have in John 17 is an actual recording of one of his prayer sessions. So we know that he prayed. We know sometimes he would go and pray all night, but we don't have written down for us what he prayed or what he said. In John 17, we do. And what we see, first of all, is that he prayed for himself. Then he prayed for his disciples. And then he prayed for you and me. And and where you find yourself in this prayer is, when Jesus starts to talk about all those who will believe on Him because that first wave of disciples went to preach the Gospel. So He prays for Himself. So if if anybody ever tells you that it's wrong for you to pray for yourself, just look at them and smile with with love. You know, don't get angry with them. But, But tell them Jesus prayed for Himself. And since Jesus prayed for Himself, it's okay for you to pray for yourself. Amen? All right? But we don't want to spend all our time praying for ourselves. We see then that Jesus prayed for the, the, the disciples that the Lord had given Him. Um, but then Jesus prayed for everyone who would believe on Him because those first disciples were going to be faithful to do their job and carry out their assignment. So that's you and me, my friend. We were included in this prayer when Jesus prayed all these generations later. Amen. I hope that does something for you. It does something for me. Now, in the 11th verse, Jesus says this, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that, we, that they may be one as we are. That they may be one as we are. Okay? Now, let's skip down. Again, I'm not skipping anything that, you know, it's like, oh, he's just cherry-picking stuff here. No, I'm not. It's just we don't have time to talk about all this tonight. It's a lot of wonderful stuff there. That's why I'm encouraging you to spend some time with it later. But let's, for sake of time and focus on some key things tonight, 
Let's drop down to John chapter 17, now verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, if you just look at verse 11, it sounds like that Jesus is praying for there to be harmony and unity among us, like there's harmony and unity among God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But that those two um, uh, unities, if you will, <laughs> are on separate levels. And that somehow he's not talking about them being joined together. If you keep reading, you see that that would be inaccurate. Because he's not just talking about you and me being as one with one another, but he's talking about you and me and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all being one together. Did you see this, right? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. So again, man is, what is man? Man is a God-class being. So much so that when God speaks of Himself and you, He uses the pronoun us. Okay? Now, we see in, don't turn there, just take my word for it, I promise you it's there. Genesis 1 and 28, God said, 26, 27, 28, then God said, let us make man in our image. Us, right? Not let me make man in my image, but let us make man in our image. Us and our are plural pronouns because we know that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So notice now, they're referring to themselves, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're using this pronoun us. Now we are a part of the conversation and they're still using the pronoun us. Amen. Y'all ever use that expression, us, usins and weans? Amen. We are usins and weans, amen, uh, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Watch this, verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Captain of our salvation, leading many sons to what? To glory. That was kind of weak. I hope everybody's taking notes and not, amen. Just zoned out on me, praise God. He's led many sons to glory. So notice, the glory which you gave me, Jesus speaking, He says, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. And then He repeats it again. I'm in them and you're in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. Wow. You are a God-class being. Not only are you a God-class being, you are loved by God with the same love that He loves Jesus with. And you have been crowned with the same glory that Jesus, the Son of Man, I'll explain that in just a moment, was crowned with. Now, we see that... Yes? Well, it was 
Jesus as a man, so Jesus became a man, He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God, became a man, and so it is the Son of God, the Son of Man. Remember, the Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. So it's Jesus on the earth talking to His Father, praying to His Father. I would absolutely say it's the will of God. And, and again, because Jesus, remember, never said a word that His Father didn't tell Him to say. So it's God the Father who's actually putting, see if this sounds familiar to anybody that's been in the class for a while, right? God said what? I will put my words in your mouth. I will cover you with a shadow of my hands so that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations, and say in design, thou art my people. So... I know if y'all are new to the class, I apologize, There's, these things are recorded, you can go back, but we explained why it has to be spoken not just from heaven towards the earth, but it also has to be spoken from the earth back towards heaven, back to the place from which it originated. Okay, And so we have God the Father uh, and the Holy Spirit inspiring Jesus to pray this prayer. Amen. And so, it is absolutely the will of God, amen, concerning you and me and what it is that, um, that Father desires to do. One of the things, and I, I don't want to, again, we could, we could spend through the end of January, for that matter, talking about just this 17th chapter of John. But if you also listen to the way Jesus prayed for His disciples, He's saying things like, Father, I thank You that they've stood with me, that they've received every word that I've said, they know that I've come from you. And if you remember what's about to happen, these guys are going to run, some of them are going to deny Jesus, they're going to act like cowards and all this other stuff. But that's not what, and Jesus knew that, but that's not what He's praying over them. He's calling things that be not as though they were. He, he, is, he is proclaiming and declaring the answer uh, over those men and what's about uh, what they're about to deal with, uh, as opposed to, Father, you know, these, these lazy, sorry, good-for-nothing guys that you gave me, they're all fixing to turn their backs on me. But no, it's not what he said. He was proclaiming and speaking the answer. There's a lot that we can learn uh, uh, about a lot of things. And one, of course, is we can learn a lot about prayer by listening to the Master himself um, when he prayed. All right. So, um, again, there is a lot here that, that we could talk about. Let, let's, let's begin, for some of you, if, if, you've never, if you're not familiar with this terminology, in Christ, in Christ. If you've been born again, you are in Christ. You are in Him. He is in you. But remember, Jesus is pointing out here that He is in the Father and the Father is in Him. So if I'm in Jesus and Jesus is in me, and Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Him, do you see why this word us is absolutely appropriate and called for here? Amen. I'm in Him, He's in me. I'm in the Father because I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. Amen. And so th this is, again, back to, uh, it was written right there a while ago, this is what is man. Amen. This is, this, these are uh, key uh, clues from the Word of God uh, concerning these things. Amen. Uh, man is a God-class being. If we were not a God-class being, we could not be one with God. If we were not a God-class being, we, we couldn't 
you know, receive uh, the same love um, from God the Father as He gives to Jesus. I know y'all probably tire of me using this little simple example, but um, I love my son. I love my puppy. Um, I can. It is impossible for me to love Colonel with the same love that I love John Mark with. Right? Can't love him with that same love because it's, it's, they're not the same type of being. The love that I have for Colonel and, 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 and what have you, it's not even on the same level as what I have for one of my children. Okay? Are you seeing this? Pardon? Ooh, yes ma'am. And so, well said. He said my seed is in John Mark, right? And, and so, again, um, what does it say about what we are? What is man? What does it say about answering that question? When Jesus says that Father God loves you and me with the same love that He loves Him with. Okay? Now, He also said uh, the glory which God the Father gave to Jesus has now been given to Him. Let's talk about that for just a moment. When God created us, the Bible says He crowned us with glory. And that, that glory crown was what enabled us to operate in the, in, the, in the way that God created us to operate. But remember, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we all sinned with them when they did, we lost that crown of glory. When Jesus left heaven, He took His crown of glory off, and I just imagine it this way, He took it off, stood up, and set it down in his throne, on His throne, and came to earth. The Bible says in Philippians that He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God. Amen. And, and humbled Himself and became a man and took upon Himself the form of a servant. Okay? So, what we see Jesus doing on this earth is He picked up the crown of glory that was originally on the head of mankind. This was the crown of glory that, that um, Adam originally wore. Amen. That we fell short of because of our sin. And now Jesus has come to, to, to take that crown of glory back for us and put it back on our heads. And so in this prayer, He talks about how He can't wait for the day when we see Him not in the glory that He had here upon this earth, but that He's going to return to His former glory that He, that he has in heaven as the eternal Son of God, and that one day... Uh, those who love Him will be able to see Him in that glory. Amen. So the glory that He operated here with on the earth was um, the glory that God crowned Adam with, mankind with, and we fell short of. But Jesus came to restore us back to everything that Adam fell from and lost, and then some. Amen. Okay? So, say that again. Did Jesus know that He was going to do that? He, he absolutely knew it because Jesus had already agreed to die for the sin, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That to me is one of the greatest acts of God's love is that He knew creating us with a free will would lead to all this uh, chaos and yet He did it anyway um, because He believed, amen, that we would ultimately turn our hearts to Him and receive 
love from him and return that love back to him? So it's a great question. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, we've covered a lot in the Word tonight so far, and we've got uh, some more things, more verses to look at. Um, I'm, I'm, again, just... We, we maybe should have started with these verses last week and got to the heavier ones this week. But, um, amen. Are, are you seeing this picture develop now from the Word of God that man is indeed a God-class being, created in the image and likeness of God, to look like God looks and to function the way He functions. Again, this is pointless for us to you know, spend time answering this question if we're just going to splash around in the ankle-deep water uh, and never really get you know, down to the, to the nitty-gritty, so to speak, of, of what's really going on here. Amen. Now, I appreciate, again, your faithfulness. And as, as we continue to build on these things, as a matter of fact, you're going to see an example of that here in just, in just the next part that, that we're going to get into. But I'm trying to set this up for you to see why it's important for us to understand and believe these things. Why it's important for us, as challenging as it may be, especially if, if, if like me, you were raised um, you know, with a, a religious persuasion that that tended to call these things blasphemy, all right? Um, So, again, we're not just trying to be controversial here. These are battleground truths that the enemy has fought you tooth and toenail your entire life from ever hearing. Um, As we asked last week, how many of you have ever heard these verses? I think two, maybe three people present in the room. I don't know how many watching uh, the live stream online um, raised their hands, but there was a very small minority of people in the room last week who had ever even heard these verses, okay? And, and so, again, um, hashtag resistance is real. The enemy does not want you to know this. He does not want you to understand this, okay? Who benefits from our ignorance concerning these things? It's certainly not our Creator Father, and it's certainly not us. Um, it's our enemy who benefits. Now, we're still answering the question, so I don't want to confuse you. And there's been times when I've looked at this and I thought, well, maybe we need to push this further you know, out instead of talking about it now. But there's a reason why I want to talk about this now because I want you to understand the connection between origin, identity, and purpose. And, and, and although we'll talk about these things separately, they, they all uh, come together to form a, a, a beautiful united whole. Right, And so, in light of what we're talking about, what is man, number one, man is a God-class being, I want to ask you this question, okay? Which came first, man, and when I say man, there's two kinds of men. There are men with a womb, also known as womb men, women, and there are men without a womb, okay? And so, I am a, I am a man without a womb. Okay, so we have men without wombs in this room, and we have, also known as females, we have men with wombs, women, women in this room. Okay, you with me? All right. So I'm not leaving you ladies out, and I, I, I'm very, I'm very careful to uh, to make sure that that you understand that. Um, and God didn't leave you out. Uh, it's just these words have come to mean different things uh, uh, to, to us than than what. Uh, God was originally saying here. So, which came first? 
man or the purpose for man? Amen. You got the gold star, okay? In other words, before God ever created us, He had a purpose for us in mind. Okay? Now, this is, very, this is a very important question to answer and will go a long way towards helping us understand why God created you as He did. So I know we're talking about purpose, but we're talking about the purpose so that you can, in this case we're reversing the order, so that you can better understand what you are and why God made you to be what you are. Okay, So purpose came first. And while, again, you got the answer correct, let's just go through um, the thinking here. Um, Father did not create us and then try to find a purpose for us. Okay? He started with a purpose and then created us in light of that purpose. Okay? So, if, if God had a purpose in mind for us, it would have been very silly for Him to create you and me inferior to that purpose. In other words, He had, he had, a, he had a, 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 a destiny in mind for you, but He created you in such a way as to where you could never fulfill that destiny. Where it was out of reach. is an impossibility. You could never do it. Okay? See, so do you understand why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go down this, this road here for, for a few moments? All right? So He had a purpose in mind and then created us in such a way as to be able to fulfill that purpose. He created us in light of, of that purpose. So, again, these are things we will develop as we move forward. But one of the purposes that God created us to fulfill is to bear His image in this created realm. We were created by God to reflect Him. To represent, and I like to mispronounce that word to emphasize its meaning, to represent, to present again, to represent, to represent Him in this created realm. Now, the Bible certainly bears that out as one of our purposes. And since God would have established that purpose before He created us, does it make more sense to you now uh, why He created you in His image and in His likeness? If, if He had in mind you bearing His image and representing Him in this created realm, uh, it would have been silly for Him to create you and me in a way that we could never accomplish that. We could never do that. Right? Now, we also see that one of the purposes God created us for is to rule and reign over all the works of His hands. To rule and reign over all the works of His hands. Now, we, we see this again, Genesis chapter 1. God created them and said, let them 
rule. R-U-L-E. Let them rule. Amen. In other words, God created you and me to rule and reign in this life on this planet. There's, there is absolutely no denying that in Scripture. And again, we will spend time in the days ahead developing that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so these are, again, things that God has purposed before He ever created Adam, breathed the life of God into His nostrils, that we would rule and reign. Now, we see that Adam fell from that place of ruling and reigning in life, but now Romans 5 says, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we can now uh, reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Right. So again, notice that's being restored to us. I, I, I love to say it this way, because remember, um, we were created to live in union and fellowship with God. So God did not create us because He was looking for something or someone else to rule over. But... If you think of it this way, certainly He does rule over us. He is over us. We do submit ourselves to Him. But I think it would help you better understand your origin, identity, and purpose if you understand that God created you to rule through you. Not just rule over you, but to rule through you. Let's get, let's get something nailed down really quick, okay? God is very secure in His Godness, okay? Amen. In other words... You know, when you ever had a boss or somebody that was insecure, and now all of a sudden you're getting credit for things that he feels like he should be getting credit for, you know, um, you, you just did something really good on, on some project, and your boss's boss uh, complimented you on it, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's like, she's trying to take my job, blah, 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 you know. In other words, listen, God, there's none of that in God whatsoever, okay? He, 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 he worried one bit about you, you know, like threatening him or anything like that. Okay, he's very secure. Praise God. So you got to know that about him. And 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 part of part of why some folks get get a little you know uh, antsy about this line of of of, th- of teaching is because it it starts to expose some of their insecurity because they start thinking, well, man, if I was God, I wouldn't want nobody walking around looking like me. You know, this kind. Of, now, see again, God wants you to to be walking around here. Uh, looking like him. He would love it for people to mistake uh, you for him. Ah, praise God. All right, remember what a Christian is, right? Amen. Okay, Christ likeness. Okay, now um, <clears throat> let's, let's take a little different look at this, though. Um, purposes. Um, we were created by God to know what he knows, to see what he sees. And I love this one right here. And to feel what He feels. To know what He knows. To see what He sees. And to feel what He feels. Again, in the days ahead, this will be after the first of the year. But 
when we get to the part about thoughts and the renewing of the mind and, and what the soul really is and how the mind is the driving force in the soul itself, we'll look at some things about our thoughts and how those thoughts drive our emotions. And the beautiful thing about this is if we take the Word of God, because remember the Word of God are thoughts that originated in the mind of God. We can actually take thoughts that originated in the mind of God delivered to us through the written Word of God and as we begin to make those thoughts our thoughts, those thoughts will begin to produce Father's emotions in our lives. And Jesus said it like this, I've told you these things so that you can have my joy in you and my joy in you to the full and overflowing. I have spoken these things to you so that you can have my peace. Notice, He's telling us thoughts that originated from heaven so that we can think those same thoughts. And if thoughts produce emotions, then God's thoughts will produce God's emotions in our hearts, in our lives. Amen? So, again... We were created by God to know what He knows, to see what He sees, and to feel what He feels. We were created by God, another purpose here, and I think this one is, is in my understanding of the Scriptures, I was going to say my opinion, but it's more than just my opinion, it's my understanding of the Scriptures, that we were created by God to have close, intimate fellowship and union with Him. Okay, Close, Intimate fellowship and union with Him. We were created by God to be loved by Him, to love Him, to converse with Him, to share our lives with Him, and He share His with us. And ultimately we see in Scripture that we were created by God to be one with Him. Created by God to be one with Him. Now, God is a relational being. As a matter of fact, I like to say it this way, okay? God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Now, now, that's something the Holy Spirit gave me a few years ago. And um, it does maybe require just a little bit of explanation. But let me give it to you again. God is an eternal community. A community is where two or more exist together. Okay? A community is where two... You have to have more than one to have a community. Okay? All right. But a community is when two or more exist together. And of course, we know that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We say God is an eternal community. Eternal means without beginning and without ending. And your brain doesn't know what to do with that because everything your brain has ever encountered has a beginning and or an ending. Okay, So again, God is without beginning and without ending. 
God is an eternal community existing in absolute. Absolute means without exception. Okay? Um, In other words, it's not like 80% communion. It's 100% communion. Right? Now, if community is two or more people existing together, communion is when the individual members in a community share themselves with the other members of the community. Alright? So, you can, and it's sad, but you know, we, we live in a world today where people can live in a neighborhood and not know their neighbors. You can be in a community, a subdivision, and not even know the people that live on the right-hand side of you or the left-hand side of you. An interesting study on this points to how even these things have affected architecture in our world today. My grandparents used to sit on the front porch and talk to their next-door neighbor sitting on their front porch, right? In a swing or a rocking chair. Or a glider. Anybody remember those metal gliders, right? Amen. And then they would walk down the street and talk to the other friends and neighbors on the front porch, right? We've moved the porches to the back of the house now. Have y'all noticed that? Amen. We got a little small front porch. <laughs> Even the ones that, you know, Pam and I looked at a house one time and said, oh man, that house, I love that porch of that house. We got up there. The porch was only like, you know, two and a half feet. It was just for show, man. You couldn't put a chair on that porch, right? Uh, but we've moved it all to the back now, right? Because what are we saying? Don't bother me. Don't get me started on all that. So, so, in other words, people can exist in a community with no communion. So the strength of a community is determined by the communion that exists within it. So, it's one thing to have, let's just use a, a local church for an example. It's one thing to have a bunch of people that call a local church their home church. But the strength of the community will always be determined by the amount of communion within it. In other words, how much of our individual lives are we willing to share with one another? Come on now. This is important right here. So when we say God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist as an eternal community But within that eternal community, there is absolute communion. Meaning that each one exists to give their all to the other two. Amen. Absolute communion. Oh, this gets me excited right here now. Alright, so, let's do this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. Amen. If you get to the table of contents, you've gone too far. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Okay, so God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Man, I'm trying to just slow my roll here. I'm wanting to have a preaching, teaching fit right now. Okay? Let me, let, me just, let me just kind of stir a little bit up in you, if I could, okay? If that's true, and it is, 
Reckon community is important to God. <laughs> Reckon communion within a community is important to God. Amen. If God is an eternal community, then that should tell us that community is important to Him. And if the strength of a community is based upon the communion within it, that ought to tell us that communion is important to Him. Now let me make sure that we understand the difference because you know the Lord's Supper or at Heritage we do communion on the first of the month, right? But see, even, even that is symbolic of Jesus sharing Himself with us and, and, and we responding to that by sharing ourselves, giving ourselves back to Him, right? He gave His best. Father gave His best for you and me. Amen. And now we're uh, striving... To, to give our best uh, back, amen, uh, to Him. Praise God. I'm going, to, I'm going to pause here for just a moment. It's getting a little stuffy in here. John Mark, would you mind just, you don't have to turn any air conditioning on. If you'll just hit the, the fan and go from auto to own, all that cool air out in the rest of the building, it'll circulate it in here. Are you all okay with that? So, you, know, you know, you ask a group of folks this big, you know, <laughs> they have all kind of different temperatures. Yeah, well, everybody's got hoodies on and things of that nature, so I can roll my sleeves up. I'm, I'm fine. I just, amen, we still got, well, time's going by pretty fast here. We still got about 40 minutes, so are you good? Are you okay? All right, so in, in eternal community, in absolute communion, yes, this middle one right here. Um, so that ought to give us at least some idea of how important these things are. Let, let, me, let, me, give you, let me give you just another, amen. When God created Adam, and it was only God and Adam, God said, this isn't good. Okay? It wasn't that Adam said, look, God, you know, you're cool and everything, but man, I, I would, I've noticed these animals, they have a female counterpart, you know. Could, could you do something like that for me? No, God said that it wasn't a good thing. Amen. So we see then that we were created for community and communion on a uh, vertically, as you could say, you know, with God, but also horizontally, uh, outwardly, with other people. Uh, communion and fellowship with God, communion and fellowship with other folks. Amen? Amen? Did I see a hand, brother? Absolutely. Absolutely. Members of one another is what the Bible says. And we'll get to those verses here in a moment. But, but literally, it's, it's, um, we, we, are, we are connected and joined uh, together through our union with Christ. In other words, if I'm one with Jesus and Chase is one with Jesus, that makes me one with Chase. You see how, you see how that works. Praise God. All right. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay? Now, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1.
Mark chapter 1. We're going to come back and comment on Genesis 1. But I want you to see Mark 1 and Genesis 1 together. Praise God. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Got a lot of stuff to cover here. All right. Yes, sister. Bless their darling hearts and ignorant heads. Well, let's see, what did, how did Brother Copeland say it? Um, darling hearts and empty heads, I think is, is, is what he said. Um, the Bible says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, even more so as you see that final day approaching. Okay. Now, listen to me, please. And I, I am getting way, way ahead of myself here, but that's all right. Okay. Um, there are all kinds of really important reasons for you to find a local body of believers and become a part of them. Lots and lots of really wonderful reasons. None more important, though, than how it pleases your Heavenly Father when you participate together with other born-again believers. Okay? Amen. Amen. And, and, and let, me, let me say this as well. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think even the most spiritual among us would be surprised at how quickly your flesh could get used to staying home and not coming to church. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. How quickly your flesh can enjoy the sofa more than fellowshipping with God's people in His presence. Yes, sister. Yeah, wow. Amen. Well, good for her, good for her, good for her. Um, as a father, the most special times for me is when my family is together. Pam and I are involved in some things, and, and um, obviously we could have we could have been there, you know. Um, we were invited, but. We just had a lot going, but the joy that we have when our son and daughter and our son-in-law spend time together as a family. They're close. Are you, are you, you, you uh, oh my goodness, it's that, right? That comes from our Father in Heaven. He, he, Malachi says that 
when we get together and talk about Him, that He records it in a book. A book of remembrance. That's, you, you write stuff down that's important. You, you, you do a photo album or a baby book or a, a bridal registry, right? You, you, you record milestones. You record things that are precious and special that you never want to forget. Amen. And, and our Heavenly Father, every single time we get together in His name and talk about Him, He records it. I believe in heaven, that you, we got the roll back there, I believe in heaven somewhere, every person in this room's name is, is written down, every person watching online, his name's written down, every word that's been spoken in this room is recorded, you know, almost like a court reporter. You know, you ever seen those court reporters? They, every word is spoken in court. They just sit there and just record the whole thing. Amen. That's, in other words, if you begin to understand how precious and important and, 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 and touching it is to our Heavenly Father, when, when the Bible says He commands His blessing in that place. Commands His blessing in that place. Amen. It's extremely, extremely important. Yes. See, again, we just go on and he's right there in the middle. Uh, you know, we, we just so much about this is so extremely important. And listen, to that, you know, kingdom divided can't stand, family divided can't stand, church divided won't stand. The, the body of Christ, we should have already gotten this world born again and got on to whatever's next by now, right? And it's, and it's our lack of unity, our, our failure to cooperate with one another, uh, that's what's you know, keeping us from accomplishing what, amen, don't get me started on all that. Praise God. All right. So, Genesis 1, God created heavens and the earth, the earth was without form of void, darkness on the face of the deep. Notice the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and then God speaks, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, now, Mark chapter 1. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Now, why are we looking at these two verses? These two passages, I guess you'd say, because there's multiple verses in each. These two openings. Why are we looking at these two openings. Well, let me tell you why. In these two uh, sets of verses, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit present in each of them. In the first, we see them working together to create the world. In the second one, we see them working together to save or redeem Amen. Uh, uh, the world that they created that had fallen. All right? Now, let's start with Mark. It's a little more obvious. We, of course, see Jesus, and um, he's being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He comes up from the water, and we see the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. So, Jesus is in the water, the Holy Spirit is on him in the form of a dove, and then God the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? 
Now, in Genesis 1, we see God, we see God's Spirit hovering, and then you have to look closely to find Jesus there. We see God's Word when He spoke, and we know that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. In both, and I think, again, it's the breadcrumbs of, of left by the Holy Spirit. Notice in both of these, the Holy Spirit is doing some form of fluttering or hovering. Amen. In the, in the creation, He's hovering in the uh, baptism by John the Baptist. He descends, hovers, flutters, and lands upon Jesus. Now, thank you, Father. I want to, for the next few minutes, I'm going to, and I've done this for several years now, and sometimes the fastest way is for me to just read some of these things to you instead of me trying to just talk about them, okay? Because there's a certain target I'm trying to hit, and while there's a lot of rabbit trails we could take along the way, the end target is the most important thing for our time together this evening, okay? So, the earth without form, empty, darkness on the face of the deep, the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove, and God spoke, let there be light. Three parties active in the creation of the world, God, God's Spirit, and God's Word, through which He creates. The same three parties are present at Jesus' baptism, the Father who is the voice, the Son who is the Word, and the Spirit, again, fluttering, this time like a dove. Now, what we have here is the doctrine. Doctrine is a fancy word. It just simply means system of teaching. And it's the doctrine of the Trinity. And that doctrine is that God is one God, eternally existent in three persons. Okay? Now, praise God. One God in three persons. Not three different gods working together in harmony. Okay? Our God is one. One God in three persons. Not three different gods working together as a team, but one God in three persons. And also, it's not one God taking different forms at different times. Okay? as is evidenced by the verses that we looked at just a moment ago. In other words, it's not, like, it's, like, it's not like He's just one God, and sometimes He's Father, sometimes He's Holy Spirit, and then other times He morphs into the Son. Okay? No, when Jesus was baptized, we have all three of them. You see this, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Am I confusing you? So it's one God in three persons, but because we know that God is love, and we know that they know one another. It's one God in three persons who know and who love one another. Now, I want you to consider for a moment that Jesus was baptized in water as an act of obedience to His Father. When we talk about righteousness, we'll, we'll perhaps mention this at that point. But remember, Jesus is not here to establish His righteousness 
His righteousness is eternally established. He is here to establish your righteousness and my righteousness. So what He did and in the way of acts of obedience, He did as us and for us. Right? So when He answers John the Baptist's altar call and asks John the Baptist to baptize him in water, it's not because Jesus had sinned and needed to be cleansed, but it was because He was paying for our sin and becoming a substitute for our sin. And of all the sins created by mankind, one of those sins was people rejecting God, drawing them to be baptized by John the Baptist. Because Jesus' righteousness with God... Are you ready for this? Don't let this boggle your mind. Just let it wash over you. Because Jesus' standard of righteousness that He uh, executed as a man on planet earth, because that righteousness is now the righteousness that you and I have been given as a free gift. Do you know what that means? It means as far as God the Father is concerned, you were baptized by John the Baptist. Amen. I've been baptized in the Jordan River and I've never been to Israel. Amen. Okay? Now, Jesus comes out of the water and He just completed an act of obedience to His Father. The Father is blessing Jesus, confirming Him, uh, speaking words of, of affirmation and, and uh, love and, and even praise uh, over His act of obedience. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus empowering Him to now go forth and minister. Timothy Keller says that this is what has been happening in the interior life of the Trinity from all eternity. The Gospel that bears Mark's name is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of... Listen to this now. Man, Holy Spirit, we're asking you right now, sir, thank you for your presence in this room. Thank you once again for helping us lay hold of the, of the, of the deep and powerful and important truth and wisdom that's being revealed now and set before us now. We pray these things to our Father in Jesus' name. So, he's saying that, that this is what's been happening in the, in the interior life of the Trinity from all of eternity. He's giving us a glimpse into, listen to me now, not just... Into, a glimpse into what the Trinity is like because remember, our reality comes forth from the Trinity. So he's giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality itself. If you're looking for the meaning of life, it can be found here. This, my friend, is the essence of the universe itself coming forth. Again, heavy stuff. Just stay with me now. You see... It is from this God, right? The one who praises His Son, who just obeyed Him, and the Holy Spirit who just empowered Him as a result of that act of obedience. We're getting a glimpse into how things are with the Godhead. My, my brother, my sister, the Bible says they always agree. They've never been in any kind of disunity or disharmony or dysfunction with one another. Amen. And it is from this God that everything that we know now was created. Let me um, give you some things as well from C.S. Lewis. Okay, C.S. Lewis 
refers to the interaction that is the interior life of the Trinity as a dance. As a dance. And he says that we should think of God not as a static thing, but as a dynamic, pulsating activity. A life, he said. Almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, quoting from C.S. Lewis, a kind of dance. And now, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Putting it the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern. Take our place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. There's a theologian in Cornelius Plantinga. He says this, the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit glorify one another. Let me stop here for just a moment. When Jesus came to this earth, He said, I will not speak of Myself or glorify Myself. I am only here to glorify My Father. He said when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit, guess what? Will not speak of Himself, will not glorify Himself, but the Holy Spirit will come to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. Guess who Jesus reveals to us? Jesus reveals the Father to us, but He also reveals us to us. Amen. Amen. Jesus prayed to His Father and asked His Father to give the Holy Spirit to you and me. Are you seeing how this interaction takes place here amongst them? The persons within God, this is what Plantinga says, the persons within God exalt each other, they commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. Because God is love, God is others-minded. He is not selfish or self-centered or self-focused. Timothy Keller builds on this idea. He says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely, profoundly happy. Think about this. If you find somebody you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that feel good? It's sublime. That's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory, and so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true that this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality is indeed a dance. Now, you got to see, I have in bold, in all caps in my notes, beware of self-centeredness. This is why the enemy, right? Because I'll tell, you where I'm, I'll tell you where we're headed, okay? <laughs> I'll tell you where we're headed, right? You were created to be a part of this dance, okay? 
Amen. But see, selfishness, self-centeredness will obviously shut that off where we're concerned. Now, selfishness puts you at the center and demands that everything revolve or orbit around you. Timothy Keller, in, in his comments on these things, and, I, and I, this to me was one that really captured my heart. I put it in my notes. He said, I want you to picture ten ballerinas on a stage and each of those ten ballerinas demanding that all the others orbit and dance around them personally. See, that, that ain't going to happen, is it? What makes it beautiful? What makes it beautiful is when they dance around and orbit around one another. Praise God. The Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around Him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. If this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. Now, C.S. Lewis comments on this truth that God is love, and he points out something that we've already mentioned, and that is, in order for there to be a community, there has to be more than one. And in order for there to be love, there has to be more than one. Amen. So, Lewis points out that the only way it is possible for God to be love is for God to be more than one person, for love can only exist in a relationship. Keller says, but if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality, again, is about love relationships. Now, some would say, am I boring you with this reading? Some would say, well, He created the world so He can have beings who give Him worshipful love, and that would give Him joy. But the triune God already had that. And He received love within Himself in a far purer, more powerful form than we human beings can ever give Him. So why would He create us? There's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. He must have created us to invite us into the dance. To say, if you glorify Me, if you center your life on Me, if you find Me beautiful for who I am in Myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you are made for. You are made not just to believe in Me or to be spiritual in some general way. Not just to pray and get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on Me. To think of everything in terms of your relationship to Me. To serve Me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. Are you in the dance or do you just believe God is out there somewhere? Are you in the dance or do you just pray to God every so often when you're in trouble? Are you in the dance or are you looking around for someone to orbit around you? If life is a divine dance, 
then you need more than anything else to be in it. That's what you're built for. You are made to enter into a divine dance with the Trinity. Timothy Keller. Yes, sir. The dance was not created for you, but you for it. Amen. So do you see now why we were created by God? John 13, 34 says, with the ability to love like He loves. If He is love, how can we bear His image and do any less? There are so many things we were created by God to do that would be out of reach for us if He had not made us God-class beings. And it's important to note that God alone made the decision to create us this way. As you've heard me say before, it's not like I said, God, you either create me in the same class of being as yourself or don't create me at all. He created me in light of the purpose that He intended for me to fulfill. Now, I haven't used this word in a while. And I think we need to bring it up now, okay? And that's the word enmity. E-N-M-I-T-Y. Enmity is the opposite of harmony. Best advice you could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Enmity. Enmity applies here, my friend. What do I mean by that? If this is indeed what God had in mind for us, it's enmity on my part or yours if we have something less than this in mind for our relationship with Him. Jesus taught us two parables in the book of Matthew. Again, we'll get to them later. Both of those parables ended with this statement. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are two completely different parables. But he chose to end them both with that statement. If I could cut through all, and there's a lot more to it than this, but what it basically boils down to is those who are chosen are those who are willing to have a relationship with God on His terms. There are many, many people on planet earth who want a relationship with God, but they want it on their terms and not His. Amen. Yes. Savior, Lord. Um, <clears throat> or they want His help, but they don't want Him. Um, back to the whole attending fellowship and with other believers, you know. Come on, sister. Come on, sister. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, <clears throat> we throw out a lot of verses like, um, all things work together for good to those 
who were called according to His purpose and who love Him, right? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. See, we like to, we like to throw these verses out and leave off the, you know, that's what Sister Betty's saying, it's that, it's that level of surrender. For my life's not my own to do with as I please. That's the surrender that Jesus made for us. How can we do any less? I don't remember the exact Sunday, and I, don't, I hadn't even taken up the offering yet, so I don't feel like this would have been on recording. <clears throat> but I, I climbed the steps like I have done hundreds and hundreds of times. And I always turn the corner there, and you know, I come up this way, and back to the congregation I come, and I turn the corner there, and I go to put my Bible down. And when I went to put my Bible down, I believe, Holy Spirit inspired, these words came out of me along with the words came out of my mouth as the tears came down from my face. Would to God that we longed for Him the way He longs for us. Amen. That we longed for Him the way He longs for us. Amen. 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 He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Pull every petal off every flower in the world. He loves you, my friend. Every breath. He loves you. Praise God. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. And He has invited you to come be a part of His community. He has invited you to come and bring the supply, bring the share, bring the gifts, the talents, the time, the treasure that you have, and come be a part of what He's got going on. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. The only way you can love Him more is to have a greater revelation of His love for you. We love Him because He loved us first. And my experience is the more you understand how much He loves for you, the greater capacity you have to love Him in return. Amen. I'm not telling you to don't say that you love him. Matter of fact, just the opposite. Please tell him that you do. But several years ago, I just kept hearing myself over and over and over again say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. And I, I cut back on some of that and started saying something like this. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. You see, there's a difference there, right? Changing the posture of the heart. Amen. 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 God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. He created you to be a part. He created you to be one with Him. He created you to know Him. Fellowship with Him. This is why He created you as a God-class being. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank You. For your love this evening, thank you for what you're teaching us and showing us. Father, this isn't about 
berating anybody or trying to condemn or guilt or shame anybody into doing anything, Father. Lord, it, it's, a, it's about our understanding being opened up to a reality that we perhaps have only partially seen or been blinded to altogether. Who you are and what you created us to be involved in and to be a part of. Father, not how religion sees us, not even how we necessarily see ourselves, but Father, what we desire tonight is to see ourselves the way you see us. What are we, Father? That's, that's the question. What is it now? Again, as the psalmist asks you, what is it, what is man that you're mindful of us and the Son of Man that you visit us? Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the things that we have received tonight. May they make an eternal difference in our walk with you, in our commitment to you, in our obedience, Father, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God.